Let's open our Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. We did not quite finish this 42nd chapter, and we take it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Verse 17 is where we left off. We'll read verse 17. They shall be turned back, they shall be greatly ashamed, that trust in graven images, that say to the molten images, ye are our gods. So when it says they shall be ashamed or confounded, and they will be confused, this means that all of those that look to images and idols will certainly be confused. The word ashamed means not only confounded, but disappointed as well. You're going to be very disappointed to look to graven images or any kind of idols uh, for your gods. When they say ye are our gods, well, they're certainly going to be that. Verses 18 through 25, this is the address of, of exhortation to the deaf and the blind nation. And despite the many privileges that God had given Israel, she had been spiritually blind. You know, God gave them all the the blessings and privileges, and they should have been well awake and and well able to see the things of God, but they had become spiritually blinded. It, it indicates that the more sometimes the information and the more people get and the more knowledge and the more understanding and the more they harden their hearts to it, the more blinded they become to the spiritual truths. The character that is given to them is seen here. The people of the Jews were in profession God's servants. If you'll notice verse uh, 19, it says, Who is blind but my servant? We know it's not talking about the servant that earlier was God's chosen servant, referring to Christ, because we found that in the first verse. And in Matthew chapter 12, I believe it was. I may have the, I think I have the right reference. We find that uh, it was particularly applied to Jesus, and he was God's divine servant Certainly well aware of everything, but here Israel was blinded, his servant, in verse 19. We find that uh, their priests and the elders, that should have, that, uh, their messengers, they were deaf and blind. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7, it tells what their responsibility was. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they that seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And being the messengers of God, even, they had become blind. So let's pick up with verse 18. It says, Hear ye deaf, and look ye blind, that ye may see. God wants blinded eyes to be opened, those that are spiritually blind. Remember Jesus spoke of those that thought that they could see, and he says, Because you say that we see, you remain blinded. You remain in your sins. In the Gospel of John chapter 9, when he healed the man that was born blind, and these others were complaining about it. They said, are we blind also? And he said, well, if you say that you see, and you don't realize that you're still sinners, and that, uh, and do not see spiritual things, you, you still are blinded. So here it says, hear ye deaf, and look ye blind, that ye may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf, as my messenger that I send? We refer to the messengers, Malachi 2, verse 7. Who is blind, 
as he that is perfect. See that? As he that is perfect. And blind as the Lord's servant. Certainly if a man thinks he is perfect, he is blind, isn't he? Verse 20 says, Seeing many things, but thou observest not. Opening the ears, but he heareth not. People with their uh, eyes open to see many things, they observe not. They can see with their physical eyes, but they're blinded with their spiritual eyes. That is, inside. The eyes. The Bible speaks of the eyes of your understanding. So the eyes are inside of you, not just here. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what the exceeding riches of His glory, and etc. In the book of Ephesians, you find that passage of Scripture. Seeing many things, but thou observest not. Opening the ears, but he heareth not. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. Look at that. He will magnify the law. The law are the five books of Moses, the Torah. But all of God's instructions he will magnify. God is going to magnify his law even if his messenger is deaf to it. And while God chooses to use human vessels to hear and to communicate His Word, He is not restricted to them. He can speak directly. He spoke directly to Moses, remember? And He gave him the law to bring down. And through His creation He speaks. The Bible says in Psalm 19 that the heavens, listen, declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day other speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. It says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There's no nation upon the earth or no place on the face of this earth where God's voice of that He has spoken through creation and the heavens declaring His glory and the firmament showing His handiwork. I had a professor one time that says that that is like His fretwork, like you would make with a saw a piece of wood and and make the fine cuts on it. And we call it the, the coping saw or the jigsaw or the bandsaw and we make little curves and the fretwork. The real fine things of God are made. And so God, the heavens declare the glory of God and the, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day and day, day other speech and night and night showeth knowledge. And it tells us there's no place where that voice is not heard. The Bible says that the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, listen, being, being understood by the things which are made, so that they, the heathen, are without excuse. You see, God has already given man a message, and when man refuses to live up to the light of the knowledge that he has, then he condemns himself by not even living up to that light. Someone says, why are the heathen condemned? Why are people that have never heard the gospel condemned? Because God has given them certain light and they have rebelled against that light. They have the light of the knowledge of salvation through the Bible. but And God will judge righteously and He will only condemn those who have not uh, had... Uh, who have received light and have not lived up to the to the amount of light they've received. But He will not condemn those who do not know anything. And God is a just God. And some, you know, I don't believe God is going to send people to hell that have never uh, heard or been enlightened in any form or fashion. But that, those are very few. 
we have people in our own community and round about us that have no lie or knowledge of salvation due to an infliction or because of the inability to understand the things of God. And that person, a child that's born in that condition, is just as safe and secure as, as it can be in the sight of God. Because God is a just God. But where light is rejected and knowledge is rejected, the knowledge of God is rejected, then God is going to hold man accountable for how he reacts to the light that God has given him. The, law, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. And we said that uh, even directly he will speak sometimes. He will communicate his word. And he will communicate uh, his revelation of himself through creation. And in fact, let me read in uh, the Gospel of, of John, I mean Luke chapter 19 and verse 40. Luke 19 and verse 40. Remember when uh, Jesus came in to Jerusalem? Verse 37, let's read. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, verse 39, from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Now look at verse 40. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Sometimes when men fail to praise the Lord, even the rocks will cry out in witness of His glory if His people refuse to and do not. Let's go on to the next verse. In a, hold your place in Isaiah 42. In verse 22 it says, But this people is robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in the prison houses. They are for a prey, and none delivered for a spoil, and none saith restore. Remember Isaiah's one son, uh, Meher Shelah Hashbaz, a kind of a little short name with just one syllable. It's really spelled M-A-H-E-R-S-H-A-L-L. A-L-A-L-H-A-S-H-B-A-Z. And it means quick to the spoil. It means that they would be spoiled. And so, from this little word, one of the sons, it was a prophecy of what happened to his nation and, and the people. And it says this people, it, this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes and they are hid in prison houses. And they are for a prey, and none delivered, for a spoil, and none saith restore. It's kind of a sad commentary on the nation, isn't it? And it was because God's people disregarded His law that they suffered captivity uh, under Babylon. And they also suffered a spiritual captivity. They were given great warnings, and ample warnings, by God's past judgments. Look at verse 23. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for the time to come? They had been warned of what was going to happen. They had been warned of their captivity. Many are warned of God's future judgments today, and they will not repent and turn to God and trust in Him. Verse 24. Look at this. Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to robbers? 
Did not the Lord, He against whom we have sinned, that's why He did it, He against whom we have sinned, for they would not walk in His ways, neither were they obedient unto His law. Therefore He hath poured upon Him the fury of His anger and the strength of battle, and it hath set Him on fire round about, yet He knew it not, and it burned Him, yet He laid it not to heart. They did not suffer due to mere chance. It was the result of their disobedience to God and to the law of God, to the word of God. Remember, there were covenant curses that were upon those that disobeyed God. And he said, you can live in obedience or you can live in disobedience. But either way, if you obey, then you will be blessed and you'll inherit the good of the land. If you disobey, then the judgments and covenant relationships or covenant curses would come upon them. Remember, they were told on these two mountains to take their choice which mountain they would go to. One was a mount of cursing, one was a mount of blessing. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be hard for me to choose, would it you? If God says, I'll bless you if you'll get on this side, I'd get on that side right away because I know that that other side is very unpleasant. God is willing to bless His people. And because of their disobedience, Israel and Judah's judgment was a result of God's righteous indignation. And God is angry against sin. And it is appropriate response to sin. And His anger is not sin. You can be angry and sin not. The Bible says be angry and sin not, doesn't it? Even to you and I. Let's pick up with the 43rd chapter, if you will. But now... Even in spite of all this, look, in spite of God's past judgment, see how it starts out? Isaiah 43. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee. In spite of His past judgments for Israel's sins, the Jews are still God's chosen people. And in describing Israel, He reminds him, them that they, are, they belong to Him, that He is their Creator. Who formed them. Let's notice there's several things in these verses. When we look at this passage of Scripture, we find in the verses 1 through 7 what Jehovah is, is and will do and will be toward Israel. And in these seven verses, the first seven, we find Him speaking comfort. You know, it's not only for Israel, but all of God's children can lay claim to these promises. There was a F.C. Jennings on Isaiah says this, The church being quite hidden from Isaiah, Israel, the literal nation, has the first title to both the sorrow and the solace. They, they receive the sorrow that comes from their rebellion and the solace and the comfort that comes from God. And that does not nullify the truth that God's dealings with that elect nation are typical of his dealings with his people as individuals today. In other words, just because God said this concerning Israel does not nullify the fact that it's typical of his dealings with you and I. Nor that these exceeding great and precious promises are not yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And so for all who are in him. So we claim these promises to ourselves, even though they were given directly to Israel. And so this passage of Scripture... Isaiah 43, as we begin to unfold it and develop it, we're going to find several things. We're going to find in verse 1, they were purchased. In verses 2 and 3, they were preserved. In verse 4, they were precious. Verse 7, they're privileged. 
and verse 10, they're powerful. <clears throat> Five different things. <clears throat> Let us notice verse 1 and take it verse by verse now. But now, thus saith the Lord, in spite of the fact, we said, of their judgments, in spite of the fact of their rebellion, how does God look upon them? It reminds me of His long-suffering to you and I. How does He look upon us? We go along and we do things that are displeasing, and we rebel uh, time and again, and we do a lot of things we're not supposed to, and yet God will, He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we find immediate forgiveness. And we find, furthermore, that God's grace is so bestowed upon us. It says in Psalm 103 that He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. It says He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He, know, he considers our frame. He knows that we are but dust. And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee. First thing... He says that created thee. O Jacob, and he that formed thee. The language of creation, isn't it? He formed man. He created man, but he formed him out of the dust of the earth, didn't he? Breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He uses that same language. Created, formed, O Israel. He uses both Jacob and Israel here. Notice. That created thee, O Jacob. Jacob was his human name, his first name, and his fleshly name. And it means supplanter. And as far as we know of Jacob, he was a rascal, wasn't he? I mean, he was, he was anything but a good guy. And he was a crook. He did a lot of things that were not very ethical at all. And yet, he met the Lord, and uh, God says, I'm going to... Name, he give you a new name, Israel, as he wrestled with God. A prince of God. And he uses both names. That created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. And he says, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. First of all, there's redemption. He says, I have called thee by thy name. And he says, thou art mine. He says, you belong to me not only because of creation, because of you formed, but you belong to me because of redemption, and you belong to me because of what I've called you, and you belong to me because, he says, thou art mine. He makes his claim. And God chose, God chose him in sovereign grace. I mean, there was nothing good about Jacob. Let me read for you in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 7. And verse 6, it says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Listen carefully. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. He could have chosen any other people upon the face of the earth, but he didn't do that. Jesus could have healed everyone at that pool of Bethesda, but he chose one man. He says, Wilt thou be made whole? Right? Wilt thou be made whole? His sovereign grace. God could have chosen any nation he, he wanted to, but He chose Israel. He says, you'll be a special people above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now, verse 7 tells us something. It says, the Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. You talk about the majority getting the choice. Now, he didn't choose. He says, because you were the fewest of all people. In other words, you didn't have anything going for you. 
Isn't that something? We really didn't have anything going for ourselves, did we? In our sins, in our individuality, we had nothing going for ourselves. We were sinners and in need of God's sovereign grace to be bestowed upon us. And He called us, He chose us, He saved us. You're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. But it says this, But because the Lord loved you, and because He would keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Isn't God's wonderful sovereign grace a wonderful thing that He would extend His grace to you and I who are so undeserving? We didn't deserve a thing. He called upon us to repent of sin, but He saved us by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Back in Isaiah 43, verse 1 again, He says, Thou art mine. Thou art mine. The last part of the verse. We belong to Him. It's good to belong, isn't it? Wouldn't you hate not to belong? We belong to a family of God. We belong to our physical families, flesh and blood families. It's good to have fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, children, families together in church. Do you know, let me say this, that the closest ties you have outside of ties with the Lord is your family. And you keep that close. And whatever you have to do to keep it right and to make it right, if there's uh, wrongs or conflicts or anything that does not jive, you get that worked out to where you'll have harmony and love in your home. Fathers and mothers love children. Children love parents, brothers and sisters, and so on. You keep that as it ought to be under God. And let me just say, if there's any problem there, you get it right. And by the way, you know the way to get it right? Everyone has to have a forgiving spirit. You know the way to keep harmony in the church and fellowship in the church? Everyone be forgiving and loving. The Bible says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Jesus looked out upon a crowd that was doing him wrong. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, can we not forgive one another? We certainly can. And we should. Uh, let, let me try to put this in a practical way in the church as far as fellowship among Christians is concerned. You say, well, here's a brother or sister that it's odds with one another. And I said, the, first of all, I said the secret of, of not having any uh, enmity or any disagreement with the other. We do not all see alike. We have to count for one another's differences. But on the other hand... To keep from being at odds with one is for you to have a forgiving spirit. You say, well, that's me. Well, that other fellow's a you too, isn't he? He has to have a forgiving spirit. So if everyone has a forgiving spirit and the right attitude, we're not going to have any problem, friend. Because I've already been, forgi- I've already been a forgiving person. And if you'll do the same, we don't have any problem. It's gone. doesn't exist. And sometimes we make problems out of things that are no problems. And you know the Bible says where no wood is, the fire goeth out. And I know that. I used to have to crawl up on that mountain up on Carissa and go up to the mountain and try to find a dead tree and cut it down and bring some wood. The green stuff wouldn't burn. So I'd have to find a dead tree. And dead wood's harder to cut than green wood. 
get it cut and bring it down so Mother could put it in that old wood stove and have heat and cook the biscuits and cornbread and so forth. See, and I found out right away that if there was no wood, the fire went out. And so it says, where there is no tail bearer, listen, where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth. The strife ceaseth. What did I get off on that for? Anyway, verse 1. Thou art mine. I said it's good to belong, isn't it? It's good to belong to the Lord. And I'm glad we belong to Him. We belong to the local church, too. We belong to each other. We belong uh, in our families. And then it says in verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. Now notice something here. The waters and the rivers, and then he speaks of the fire. But listen, when, he does not say if thou passest through the waters, but when. We all go through the waters. We all go through times of trial and, and temptations and problems that exist. And we know that many times that these things describe the waters and the rivers and the fire and the flame refer to danger and affliction that's ahead. And we have those things coming in our lives. But he says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, like the three Hebrew children we speak of, what does it say? Thou shalt not be burned. And they were not. They were not. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And it did not. And it says, when these things happen to you and I, we're going to have God's protection. God speaks comfort to us. We're reminded in this verse, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. We sing a song, God leads his dear children along. In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. And God leads his dear children along. So he takes care of us. And when the hardships come, they may have been able to recall the hardships of their wilderness journey. You know, they, they didn't have a, a, just a, a nice a little walk through that wilderness. They had some trials, didn't they? They were without water. They were without food. The sun was beating down on them. And they had all kinds of things to face. But in the midst of it all, they say they were without food. God gave them manna from on high. He fed them every day faithfully. Say they were without water. They came to the place there was no water. And he says, Moses, you take your rod and you smite that rock. And the waters gush forth. He said that the shoes on their feet didn't wear out. Forty years and the clothes on their back. He took care of them. And you say, well, what about the sun in that desert heat? It says He gave them a shade by day and a fire by night to guide them. He gave them a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to guide them, lead them, and guide them by day and by night. The Bible says, The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Have you heard of people being moonstruck? And you know what happens there. They become a lunatic, don't they? But anyway... Uh, but the the thing about it is, God says the sun's not going to smite you by day nor the moon by night because He gave us. And in in the symbolism of that 
pillar of cloud and of fire, you know what it's a symbol of? It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence with you and I all through this wilderness journey. That God has given us His presence to guide us every step of the way. And I'm glad because we need that presence of God. Let's look at this again. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. For Israel, He was their Savior. And He did save them out of Egypt and out of bondage. When He speaks of being Israel's Savior, you know how He saved them? Two things. By power, by blood and by power. By blood and by power. Remember when they were to kill the Passover lamb and their redemption was through the blood? The blood of that lamb was to be applied to the lintel and the side posts of every house because the firstborn would be smitten and the firstborn of every house would die. All that were in the land of Egypt. It doesn't say all the land of Egypt, but in. In the land of Egypt. You go back and look specifically at the words. And they were in the land of Egypt. And so the danger of the death of that firstborn in every house. But God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and I will not suffer the firstborn of that house to die. And God will not suffer the firstborn. He, uh, we're all under the sentence of death, so to speak. And God says, when you apply that blood, says, take a hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and you apply it to the lintel and the side post. You and I take that hyssop of faith. We have the blood of Christ. Christ is the Lamb of God. And He shed His blood for our salvation. And by faith, we're taking that hyssop, so to speak, of faith, and we're applying the blood of Christ to, to our heart's door. And we're presenting Christ as our sacrifice. And God says, when I see that applied by faith, you will not die. You will not die. You say, well, preacher, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid if you've applied the blood. Don't be afraid. The only thing be certain is that you've applied the blood. Every blood-bought soul, child of God on the face of God's green earth will be in heaven with him. Whether he's in church, out of a church, or without a church, he's going to be in heaven. He might be a lot more comfortable going in the church because he'll enjoy the way. You know, you can ride on a train across the country and you can jump in a boxcar or you can get in a passenger train, whichever you choose. But as long as you're on there, you're going to get there. But sometimes the way is more comfortable if you choose the right way to travel. And the best way to travel is with God and with God's people and with God's blessings. Uh for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and see before thee. This is a difficult passage of Scripture. Uh, it has to do with nations that may have been judged in the place of His people. And uh, I won't try to explain it to you because there are several uh, ideas about what it really means. And some believe that it has to do with a future case as well. So let's just go on with that. And if we have time at some time, I'll sit down and talk to you about it. But then in verse 4, he says, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and, thy pe- and people for thy life. 
the future care. Notice the former care. Since thou wast precious in my sight, that's what they were. And then I, I will, will I give men for thee and people for thy life. And this had to do with their earthly redemption and their care. And the future care, will I, had to do with the future. And then in verse 5 he says, Fear not, for I am with thee. He says, I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. There will be a return. We know there's a return of the Jews to their land in unbelief. But there will be a return in faith at some point in time. And they will return. They will be gathered from all nations. The outcasts of Israel. We know now, historically, and at this particular time, there, there are many hundreds and thousands returning of God's chosen people to their homeland. In fact, I remember, and I had a note in my old Bible, you know how old the old one is, and when I started using this in, what, a couple of years ago. But I had a note in my old Bible when I was uh, teaching Isaiah in, from that Bible, and I had these notes. CNN reported 200,000 Soviet Jews. And I put here a few years ago because I had it modern. I had it uh, a note that was at that particular time updated when I was using the other Bible. It's nearly wore out. I used it for 40 years and I'm using this for the next 40 years. And I've got one more. And when I'm through with it, well, Randy's going to take over. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, okay. That's just 120 more, isn't it? Well, no, this one's in the second one. so. But anyway, we can figure that out later. But he says, I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. In other words, the, the, uh, the east and the west and the north and the south, he's going to say, bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. He's going to say, assemble them back, bring them back together. And God is going to call His people and they'll be gathered from the four winds. You study in the book of Revelation, you'll find a future return, not, on, not just in unbelief as they are returning many hundreds and thousands today and have been through the past several years and decades, but there will be a regathering of God's chosen people and then they will be regathered in faith and they'll be believing there is a present return in unbelief, but there will be a future return. And there will not only be just His people, but look, in verse 7 it says, Even everyone that is called by My name, Jews and Gentiles, for I have created Him for My glory, I have formed Him, yea, I have made Him. So we know that His sons and daughters will include, when Israel is converted, there will be even before that, Many Gentiles saved out of the great tribulation period. The time of tribulation. It says, I saw a great multitude. It says, these are redeemed out of every nation and people. And they are called from every nation. And there will be many converted during the tribulation period as well as during this day and age of grace. And that tribulation will only take place after the Lord calls all the people of this day and age to Himself. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is fulfilled. And the Bible says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent those that are asleep, them which are asleep. Prevent means to proceed or go before them. For the, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, the dead in Christ, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it says in the last verse of that fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the Christian's hope. We have a hope that beyond this life we're going to be resurrected and we're going to be changed if, if, even if we're living to the time that the Lord comes. You know, we say the rapture and the resurrection. We ought to say the resurrection and the rapture because it all happens one at the same time. But it says the dead in Christ shall what? Rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, if so be that we're alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, he's going to call his sons from far off and his daughters. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. We could use this as a, as a, um, missionary message. We could use this as an evangelistical message to bring God's sons from far and from the ends of the earth. You and I need to put ourselves in the business of bringing God's sons from far. There are many that are far away uh, spiritually that are next door. You don't have to be on the other side of the continent or the other side of the world to be far off. The far off are those that are far off. Remember, when Jesus was born, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They were further away physically and geographically, but those that were near, that were in Jerusalem, were only eight miles away. And they were far off spiritually. They were far further away spiritually than those wise men that came from the east. And they had God's word before them. And because when the wise men made their inquiry, or had their inquiry made to the scribes and and those in charge of the, the word of God, they said, it's written. And now Bethlehem Ephrathah are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of these shall he come forth that is to be ruler in Israel. says he's to be born in Bethlehem. And they knew where he was to be born. And yet they were far off in a spiritual sense of the word. Well, we'll pick up with verse 8. It's the next division.